The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. In Discussion with David Gibbons is sponsored in part by Bowman Global Change. Specializing in helping companies reduce their carbon emissions, Bowman Global Change applies real science to real business practices to produce results. From designing green programs to one-on-one training to helping set up green action teams in your business, Bowman Global Change translates complex science in practical ways that everyone can understand and use. For more information or to discover how Bowman Global Change can help your organization, visit bowmanglobalchange.com. Mr. Fuller has called my special guest today, Barbara Marks Hubbard, the best informed human now alive regarding futurism and the foresights it has produced. Widely regarded as his philosophical heir, Barbara is a social innovator, speaker, author, educator, and leader in the new worldview of conscious evolution. She joins Melanie St. James, executive director of the Global Summit, an organization seeking to act as a catalyst for year-round collaboration of citizens, businesses, and organizations working together to co-create a sustainable future. Barbara Marks Hubbard is participating as an honored speaker during the Global Summit in November 2010. Barbara Marks Hubbard, welcome to In Discussion today. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's such a privilege to be talking to you. We're going to be joined later by Melanie St. James. And I understand that you are going to be, or you are participating in the Global Summit in November. Yes, I am. Could you give me a brief statement, as it were, of what you see being accomplished with the Global Summit, the synergy that it has with your work and your background? The Global Summit is a very powerful example of many different strands of effort to create a new culture and a new world coming together to cooperate, to learn from each other. And we know from our study of nature that crises leads to greater synergy and cooperation among species or the species go extinct. So that's in biology. So what I think is true in the social environment we're in with all these crises we're facing, that and with the top-down structures of society, whether it be nation-state or global corporations or organized religions, not being able to handle a whole system crisis, that what's happening is that the people like Melanie are pulling together, many of us, to create a new whole system. And we're all parts of it. But the structures of the new whole system are not yet fully obvious anywhere because they're not in the current structure of the top-down pyramid civilization we're we're in 
And I think Melanie is one of the prime coordinators, co-creators, conveners of social synergy. And the Global Summit is a prime example of that. And and the, her dedication to it and her wonderful work with it is just an example of what we can all do. And I'm truly very, very uh, privileged to be part of it. I, as a social historian and and fairly well-read, see this world as having been brought here in recent times by the aftermath or the aftermath or the the years following the Second World War. And I know that your work started, the catalyst for that almost were the uh, bombings of Japan in 1945. Yes. Do you see a pattern that started to occur uh, in the late 40s and the 50s, which has led us to this do-consume society that we live in today? I do. I I think that we had, really since the Enlightenment, a story of continuing progress through more and more knowledge and better and better technology and more and more freedom, particularly in democracy and science as they developed along with the consumer society. And really, we didn't know anything was wrong with us. And I think what happened with the horror of two world wars and then the great ending of that phase of civilization, I believe, was when the U.S. dropped the bombs on Japan. Because not only could we have totally destructive wars, but with the bomb, we had hit a new level of destruction, which could destroy life on Earth. And the signal, subtly, if, if not so obviously, went through some of us, including myself, that we were coming to the end of a phase of consciousness, of self-consciousness, of gaining power over each other through force. That has been the tradition for thousands of years. And suddenly, through success of power and failure of purpose, we, at the, at the point of the destruction of our life support system and life on Earth, so that began to wake up something that's still barely obvious, but more and more obvious because of the crises. And what it began to wake up is the beginning of our capacity for conscious evolution, which is to say the evolution of evolution itself from unconscious to conscious choice. There are many uh, theories and and ideas on how this will manifest itself. I think that very much of this is how we think positively in our own minds, how we go inside ourselves now to change ourselves so that we can affect others consciously. We are nevertheless still living in a world that is unwilling to change, and I think that many of the ideas and many of the topics in Global Summit are going to reference those. What sort of ideas do you have or thoughts on how the reluctance to change can be reversed? Uh, Clearly we're still in a material world and there is a reluctance to change in our political structure in our material world. It seems to me that it doesn't take too many people who are fully conscious, not just aware. I think there's a difference between awareness and consciousness. But fully consciousness, how do you think that that will manifest itself in the end here? As we clearly are, as you say, coming to the end of a chapter. Well, I think it is beginning to manifest. Whether it will be quick enough, nobody knows. 
but I, I personally am part of three or four major initiatives at Social Synergy. One is called the Evolutionary Leaders, about 50 major teachers like Deepak Chopra, Gene Houston, Irvin Laszlo, Bruce Lipton, people who've given their lives to the evolution of health or biology or business, all the different fields, coming together to look at the possibility of synergy among leaders, because collectively we are really much greater than the sum of our parts. And we've been talking about a global university for conscious evolution. And then I'm part of something called Global Synergizers that came out of Pachamama Alliance and four years ago, which is an effort to create a new system for the civil society, for the organizations like Global Summit and many others to become synergistic themselves. So we had 65 organizations there trying to create a synergistic system with very specific goals, like what to do at the Rio conference, what to do at uh, 2012, things like that. And then there's Global Summit that uh, Melanie is initiating. So it's really important to notice how much is already emergent, even though not in the political arena, not in the mass media yet, but there. And then we also have all these new uh, communication technologies like Facebook. And I heard recently that Facebook is the fourth largest nation in the world after United States, India, China, and Facebook. Now, that's a phenomenon. You just can't ignore that. And I recently heard that uh, a president of Facebook or one of the founders of Facebook is creating a new project to, to connect initiatives and projects that are working. So it looks to me like the nervous system of social synergy, citizens' action, projects that work, innovations that are created, breakthroughs that are happening. We're just one fraction of an evolutionary second from those initiatives connecting with each other. And my own view of what could possibly be fast enough to make a shift before a collapse of civilization would be the rapid, nonlinear connectivity of what's already creative. Uh, so, r- really, we have to go to nature. We have to look at uh, Father Sky, Mother Earth, uh, and really understand what is important outside of that material world. I'm saying that if you look at the existing social, political, cultural world, which, of course, is coming up out of nature and Earth, and environment and caring for the whole community of Earth. But I'm not saying that. I'm saying, what are the innovations in energy now? What are the innovations in healthcare? What's really working in relationships? Where is creative media actually happening, like this radio show? And if you start mapping and connecting and communicating that which is already working in every field, health, education, economics, science and technology, uh, environment, you would see there's an emerging world in our midst right now. And you certainly have fellows like Daniel Pinchbeck uh, making films that talk about this different technology, uh, which is a, a big step, clearly. One of the things, Barbara, for me, is I draw a line in the sand in my work. I look back to the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s and 80s, and I look back at the 60s, and, and what a wonderful decade and a wonderful mm-hmm. movement. 
But I wonder if you would agree with this statement. I, I rather think that there is more opportunity now simply because we have more elders, more wisdom now than we had in the 60s to help us with this. Would that be something that you would concur with? I, I think that's right, but I think it's more than that. I believe that between the 60s and those great social consciousness movements, there has been a rise of what you know, Paul Ray calls the cultural creatives. Awake, aware people, if not fully aware, at least certainly uh, wanting to shift our behavior, our lifestyle. And then the really new factor is the awareness of the crises and the extraordinary danger that we're facing. And I, I guess what I feel is that without that kind of level of danger, it probably wouldn't happen at all. Because we have been told by all the world's religions and everything that we should love one another and care for each other. I mean, I just got a letter from Jim Garrison, who's been studying climate change. He says, what do we actually mean that we have passed the point of no return on climate change in what Paul Ray calls a cascade of crises, now inevitable? What are the implications to each of us individually, to us as a movement, to all of us like at Global Summit? It is making me feel, this is Jim Garrison writing it, almost like a Jew in the 1930s in Germany. At some point, many of them realized that their destruction was inevitable under the Nazis and fled. Others remaining in denial stayed and were killed. It is worth remembering that the mantra of the Jews who stayed was, it won't get any worse. Using the 1930s as a distant mirror is extremely helpful in understanding our predicament today, aided by Jung's insights into the shadow and denial which he actually wrote during that time as he observed what was happening in the German collective psyche. Only within the context of this level of ruthless realism, as Gorbachev puts it, will any of our imaginal cells, that's the cells in the body of the caterpillar, wanting to enter the chrysalis, will we thrive? We have to be very realistic. Our hope must be grounded in a realism that is unafraid to look at the facts with objective clarity. So Jim is making a very strong point here. Evidently, we've passed a point of no return, so we can't go back to fix the structures of the past. And it's a very dangerous time because what is being predicted here is a collapse of the structures of civilization itself, as well as a great amount of destruction of life and life forms. I feel the, the radically new thing is that degree of danger. Well, of course, if you look back in history at the many civilizations, you always see, uh, whether it's the, the Roman, Greek, uh, even m more modern civilizations or empires like the British, it always tends to be an implosion from within. This is global, and this is where conscious evolution comes in. Some of us are waking up to the fact that this is an evolutionary crisis. It's not only a cultural crisis, crisis or even a civil crisis to a particular civilization. It's a crisis to global life forms. And we are the first species to know that we were creating it by our own actions. Would it be fair to say that at this stage, in order to gain everything, that we have to lose everything? I hope not. I think what's fair to say is at this stage, in order to gain everything, we have to be aware we can lose everything. Maybe we have to lose it all. But if we do, then you become a failed state. And it's so hard. When you think of it at the scale of large-scale civilizations and 
hundreds of millions of people in cities and things like that, you're seeing chaos and destruction. Now, what Elizabeth Satoris says is we have to move uphill, and we're reinventing culture, and we might as well face this as an opportunity. Now, many people at the Global Summit will be facing this as an opportunity. Yes. To recreate in a new, more equitable, sustainable, loving, compassionate, and innovative culture. It is, that is true, too. And it makes a huge difference if that's the way we're motivated. First of all, nothing is wrong and we're just going to make it through or we're going to for surely die. So I've taken the, the third route, which is we're being forced to create a new civilization. The timing is very dangerous and everybody is needed to go to their post and create what they can. So this really still needs leaders. Oh, my God, everybody. So the word leader here should not apply to people at the heads of pyramid structures. The leaders would be people like us. Anybody, anywhere who feels motivated by the inner impulse to be more creative, more loving, and more innovative would be leaders. Now, one thing in my work, Barbara, is being well-read here, I can cover many topics all the way from world affairs to academics. And I do work a lot with uh, CEOs or scientists or philosophers. And many of them are still uh, stuck in the old paradigm, the old structures. It seems to me that they're the very ones that we have to reach out to. Yes, and I agree. I, and I think that a, a media vehicle, and, and in my small way, this is what I'm attempting to do, is to bring people together who are so conscious and so aware of where we are at that they need to be put together with those that are still stuck in this uh, do-consume materialistic world. And I, I rather think that that is going to create such huge opportunity, new technologies, new thought patterns, new ways of thinking. I believe that can be done. It, it's all very well preaching to the choir, preaching to those that, that are already aware and conscious of this. But I think that more it's about bringing together this community from everybody, everybody yes. in society. Yes, and I, I think that in the corporate world there are many people who are aware of this and would like to participate more fully. Where it's difficult is the structure of the corporation, the shareholders, the maximizing of profits makes it very tricky to stay in a structure that demands that while you personally are wanting to evolve. Now, I think that such things as clean energy and innovative technologies that can change the world for the good and socially responsible investing and all of that is the, is the way we have to go with an evolutionary capitalism. And I have a friend, Rinaldo Brutico, who's head of the World Business Academy, for example, and he is one of the founders of the Evolutionary Leaders. And he's got a whole business academy of business leaders who know that they're affecting the whole and want to do it as well as possible. And, and so he's now a pioneer in the business world and very successful, you see. So what's needed in the corporate world is also the military. There are great geniuses in the military that are very aware of every word we're saying. And they're aware that in order to have any kind of security, you're going to have uh, to create a, a sustainable world. We are, nevertheless, still up against those fragile 
human positions of insecurity and codependence and, and, and the biggest of all of them, of course, being fear and, yeah. and, and image. And that's what I see in people even now, wonderful people that I work with across the board in, uh, in very major positions. Mm-hmm. Still this reluctance to change from where they're at because they're either bullied by their shareholders or they're, yeah. they're, they're in a community that still keeps up with the Joneses. You know, those are the very ones perhaps who have to be dislodged from th- those ideals and, and, and they have to be transformed themselves because they are potentially those leaders that we need. That's very true, and there, there are many things in the favor of this. One is all these people have children, and the young people are more aware of this often than the parents. Another thing is the crisis is front-page news. Uh, a third thing is that I think there is an evolution of consciousness itself that is innate, not to everybody, but that you know we have, for example, a greater empathy now than we ever had before. When something happens in Haiti... Just think of it, how amazing it is, how many millions of people are concerned. Or if a child is dying in Africa, or if minors are trapped in Chile, and suddenly it's a world experience of empathy, concern for those people. And so despite ourselves, because of the connectivity and the feeling with each other, a new consciousness is growing. I call it ultimately the, the, the birthing of a co-creative co-evolutionary universal humanity so i think a new a new evolution of our species is occurring and i trust because i look back at the 13.7 billion years of evolution that from no thing at all has come everything that is and nature takes jumps at times of crisis so you see i have an evolutionary faith here that if you do everything you can to connect that which is emergent and creative in yourself as well as you're doing in your vocation with communication my vocation is communication too people have all these different vocations if those of us who have a calling to do something of a more evolutionary innovative nature do do it and connect with each other i believe that you might say nature or spirit is on the side of that it's not a neutral universe I constantly try and look at the definition of spirituality. It is confused to to a great degree. Uh, And I think there's a confusion between the the word spirituality and and consciousness. Well, I'll tell you an experience of spirituality I have, not necessarily a definition, but my experience is that inherent in the whole evolutionary journey from the great flaring forth to the formation of energy, matter, life, animal life, human life, there is a core of that toward higher consciousness, greater freedom, more complex order. There is an intentionality or implicate ordering process in the core of evolution itself. And some people have called it evolution's purpose. It's not calling it God necessarily, but just the, the tendency in evolution and in myself, as, as a, just one little person, that impulse of evolution is very strong inside me. Well, of course, intentionality, I'm fascinated with this, and, and, and I believe it to be such a strong part of this. 
I, uh, not long ago, had the huge privilege of interviewing the great uh, Professor Bill Tiller, who talks about the body suit that we wear in this life. Yes, yes. And, and the power that we have that we don't realize that we can use to help other people around us. Yes. That intention that we talk about, that consciousness we talk about, how can we express that to people? Because it's not just about yoga or uh, <laughs> no, meditation. It's, it's much more than that, is it not? It is. It's, I believe it's evolutionary consciousness and evolutionary activism. And evolutionary consciousness means that you know you're part of a great patterning, designing process of nature toward higher consciousness and greater freedom. That, in other words, you feel part of an evolving universe. And then you feel that you have an innate calling as part of that. Whatever your particular heart's desire to create is, that's your part of the design. And then you're saying yes to that and reaching out, just like you're talking to me. Now, how did this happen? Who told you to do this? Who's paying you a million dollars to get this done? Nobody. Mm. How come you're doing it? How, I'm 80 years old. And I have to wake up sometimes in the morning and think, my God, Barbara, what happened to you? <laughs> that I have had five children, eight grandchildren, you know, it seems to me at least five different careers. And here I am waking up every morning filled with this passionate purpose. And you know what? Everybody I know who's in this movement is like me. Look at Melanie. <laughs> She's, you know, I could, this is, this, these women are just waking up to a passion as great as giving birth to a child. This is giving birth to yourself who's giving birth to a world. Uh, and I note uh, personally that that is definitely the case. Uh, women have a massive part in society, and I, I truly believe more important than men in so many ways. And they are waking up, and I, and I see women waking up around me with a, a wisdom. If in everything that we say, are we also suggesting here that in becoming conscious and creating this, not creating it, it's bound to happen, this evolution, that we are seeing a future of frugality, which is probably what we need to be able to push up against the, the greed and the materialism that we've had for so many hundreds of years? I think that I wouldn't necessarily use the word frugality because it's an old-fashioned word about how to do with less. It's more a life that greater and greater joy and fulfillment comes from relationship, relationship with each other, with nature, and with your own creativity and your and spirit. And like in my life, my by far my greatest fulfillment comes from those things. Relationship, feeling life purpose, feeling I'm co-creating something, having a conversation like this, all of that and so my material needs are lesser as my evolutionary needs and expression are greater so i actually don't have time to shop <laughs> <laughs> it's not that i'm being frugal it's just, i mean and I, I i'm not saying that i'm the, the most conscious environmentalist that there is and i'll be lazy with certain things but i'm frugal because i'm not interested in more things 
and what I am interested in is exactly what I'm saying, love, relationship, expression, and participation. And that's so self-rewarding that expenditures that would be superfluous are of no interest to me at all, actually. It is uh, also, for me, uh, been an amazing year since I started this programming. And uh, what an amazing journey it is, learning so much from so many incredible people. And I think that that introduces for me the word hero, uh, that you go through this journey. I, I work with a very, very famous uh, Susan Anthony in the UK, who uh, is working on a hero series with me, which shows this journey that we all take and we all need to take. Yes. Coming out of this world into a special world and then taking the risk going through the breakdown to break through mm -hmm. and then of course having to take this tightrope then between a special world that you're in this consciousness and the world that we live in and i think there's so many people are going to have to do that in order to to, yeah. to to take this journey of of full consciousness in order to to make this evolution real well here's another word that's really important here is community you can't do this alone. I was hearing Joanna Macy speak the other night, and she's speaking about solidarity, like in people who are protecting the trees or people who are doing many different types of work in the environmental and ecological field. And she said the thing that's so remarkable is the solidarity you feel with each other and with nature. And when you feel that, there's a really great strength in it. But if you're isolated and alone, you can't do it. One of the great psychological problems of modern Western cultures, particularly the U.S., is loneliness. Yes. And yes. you see, I was feeling it myself the other day. I'm on the phone all the time. And like with you, I feel really a close relationship with you. But I don't even have any idea where you are. <laughs> I, I and and I would concur with that, Barbara. I was only saying to my other half yesterday, uh, leaving Los Angeles for the studio over here in Phoenix, that I know that I'm going to be lonely. And oh, interesting! Even uh, even that, you see. Now I don't. My partner has been is living in an assisted living place. He has a bit of dementia. And he was just telling me that the problem of dementia is loneliness in many cases. And the struggle, we used to have extended families, you see. And I have four living children. I have five and eight grandchildren and all kinds of cousins. But you know what? Not one single one lives near me. And then I have colleagues, like, all over the world. But they're not here. <laughs> and so I decided I have to actually do something about the physical place I live and how to create intimacy, community, because one of the problems is, if you're like me, you get very busy in doing your global work, but you're still a local being. Yes, yes. And so I want to bring up the issue, uh, in order to go through all this, is to develop community, solidarity, intimacy, a feeling of belonging with at least some group of people. And you know, in our day, if we don't have a church that we go to, it's very hard to have real community. Well, it takes real trust and it takes trust uh, and, and, and conscious and, effort. Too. Yes, and, and and faith and 
and I feel the power of this conversation. My loneliness, it's not real, really loneliness. I, I, I'm on a huge journey myself. Nevertheless, you, you don't like leaving people behind uh, for right. short, for, for periods of time. But you are, uh, my other half always says to me, um, but you know that I am in your heart and I, and my spirit is with you. All it takes is for people to talk and people to send this strength of heart uh, to each other, I believe. Well, you know, we actually have to have intimacy where we live. And I'm in Santa Barbara, California, and I'm renting a house on a street of many houses that there's no connection with anybody who's living there unless you make an effort to go introduce yourself to everyone and have a block party of some sort. You could do it, but you'd have to really work at it. Yes. And the culture doesn't do it. There's not even like a town square for these little houses where you'd have to walk out and meet each other. Sometimes m- many communities are beginning to develop vegetable, uh, you know, community gardens, or people don't want to live this way anymore, so they're trying to restructure how we live. And one of the things that this breakdown is going to cause is the need for each other. It's ridiculous to live with all these individual uh, washing machines and dryers and this and that and the other. And then when you get to be older, they have to house you in these old folks' homes and assisted living environments, which themselves are deadly for many people. And and this is where uh, permaculture and so many of these uh, new paradigms are, I, I believe, going to be so important in community. Barbara, I'm going to bring Melanie St. James on the line. Hello, Melanie. How are you? I'm absolutely wonderful. I've so enjoyed listening to your conversation for the last 40 minutes. Well, Melanie St. James, welcome to the program again. Our third, I believe, of a four in the series. Uh, it has been a wonderful conversation with Barbara. I think that uh, we have touched very lightly on the Global Summit, but I think that very much of what we have talked about, Barbara, uh, references the objectives. Well, I just want to echo that, that right up to the last um, statement that you're making about your neighborhood, Barbara, and, you know, with permaculture, it's just incredible, all the movements that I'm, you know, like you mentioned, your show, it's such a journey, and this build, this climb to the Global Summit has been a similar journey, and looking at all the movements, and, you know, how do we create culture in our communities and you know look at what the universe is handing us so that we can evolve and more fully experience what it is to be human um you know so many people i've spoken with lately are having economic collapses yet they're saying somehow i'm evolving and i'm feeling happier and more relaxed (laughs) than than when i had a lot of money in the bank and um, it's like we're all waking up, and, and Barbara, I love that you said everyone's got to find, you know, find your vocational post, and let's start co-creating. <laughs> and uh, it's like we're, we're all just identifying what's real, and, um, and it just feels so good. So how can it be wrong? <laughs> That's right. So, but, you know, he was talking about frugality, and, so, and I said I wouldn't use that word, because what you're really aiming at is greater fulfillment through co-creation, resonance, intimacy, love and so on and i was thinking of the phrase permaculture is a permanent perma-human culture where we are sustainable i was going to say barbara though you made an 
important point is that, as with Daniel Pinchbeck's film, it talks about permaculture, it cited some examples. But there's also the danger, isn't there, that it can become too insular. And this is where you have to find that balance so that it is community and it's not insulation as if it's a a, a modern-day monastery. Well, you can't, you can't, that's right. I don't think we can survive without community. It's, it's way too expensive and lonely. The people who have a lot of money and are living in gated communities also are lonely. But the ones like us who have greater freedom and flexibility and desire to create are really the ones to pioneer in evolutionary community. For Melanie, it's clear that you have some very important benchmarks here. Uh, you have your seven areas of sustainability. It, it, it's very cleverly done. And there's clearly a need, as in Barbara, the way we were talking, that we need leaders. The, the life is such is that you have leaders and you have followers. How does the Global Summit meet that? What will it do to, to assure that leaders come out of it? Giving people the tools to empower themselves and to identify and to basically work together and getting out of needing to look to somebody else. That's what the seven stages to sustainability provide. Find other people who they can co-create with and then really to get the job done so that it's not so dependent on a leader. And um, through the dissemination, through the mass dissemination of those action-oriented tool sets, we are anticipating that, you know, people will find their vocation and that, you know, whatever their contribution is into that team or into their yet that area of, um, of interest, that they will be able to be more self-actualized and self-activate instead of just being told to give to a project or to do X or to do Z based on what one organization tells them to do. It's, um, it's a framework that brings people together wherever they're at in their own lives as opposed to, um, you know, kind of this foreign idea of a community project. (laughs) So we're pluralizing, um, you know, kind of expanding the opportunity for social and environmental action and um, creating a language for collaboration. Now, we're, we're, we're talking about collaboration and community. We're talking about leadership. We're talking about new technology. Barbara, how can we connect up those elements with full consciousness with what we have to do inside internally in order to be able to step up as a full whole human being in order to meet these well you know it's it's there are so many ways that throughout history people have done this of the more traditional spiritual modes of meditation of yoga contemplation so i personally have developed evolutionary practices that connect me with the impulse of evolution itself. I'm an evolutionary soul. Now, not not everybody is. But I don't seek a direct vertical relationship with God. I seek a participation with the process of creation. Mm -hmm. So I've just completed something which I would love to share with you. It's, It's called the Evolutionary Communion. And basically what you do is you connect with the with the core of the evolutionary process itself considered to be an impulse of creation within you and when you do that and you realize for billions of years nature has been evolving to higher systems a more complex and more conscious order you put that you put yourself inside that 
and then you begin to feel spirit evolving you. And I actually feel I am an expression of the spirit of evolution. Almost that you are becoming the universe as well, yourself. Yes, one of the phrases I love is, we are the universe in person. This is the way the universe shows up. We are embodiments of universal creativity. And each of us is a unique embodiment of universal creativity. And so when we get in touch with our uniqueness, as Melanie's saying, our unique expression, our vocation, and start to say yes to it, then we have to reach out to others. Because nobody can create any of these larger things by themselves. And then this is the thing I'm feeling now in my own personal life, even though I reach out always on a larger scale, is on my intimate life, where I live when I get off all these phone calls. I would like this to be cozy, too. I I want to have uh, intimacy in conscious co-creativity with my beloved peers. Mm. So now I have to figure out how to do that, Melanie. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's it's funny how we um, sometimes, you know, it's like the shrink is most likely to often, sorry for the psychologists out there who are <laughs> completely sane, but we, we tend to want to fix the things that we need to heal within ourselves and, um, you know, project. Global community, but I realize I need one myself. <laughs> well, exactly, but that's how it is, and it's, it's, it can be a very lonely road to try to go out and do something in the world, and I realized that was my big correction, and the big thing I wanted to heal was to feel love and, and, and connectedness. Let me ask you, ladies, uh, in, in this in this uh, journey that's coming up with the Global Summit. My good friend John Perkins is going to be there. And and, and obviously John is going to be talking about the Sharnamic process and the the Mayan civilization. Yes, he's going to be in the Solution Council, interacting with other experts in the field and sharing his experience. Now, let me me ask you, John is, uh, I know John, uh, he's going to talk about ancient civilizations. He's obviously a great author, and he's written about the the chaos of modern economics. And there's going to be some darkness there. A question for both of you, starting with you, Melanie. Is it a question that one has to face this darkness in our modern world before we can look at the light so that we know that we have a reference point I think everyone has their own path. I think some people just have are, are completely steeped in the negativity and don't do a thing. Um, other people are crazy optimists that they just do, do, do. So I, d- I don't know if I have a direct answer to that. But well, I, I think what I'm saying is if I look at John and I look at many of the, the wonderful people that I interview, they are uh, still in the do-consume mode. They're still in this world. They're still in the, working in the corporate mansion and, and with all the, the chaos and the, the pollution that comes with that. And mm-hmm. th- that's very much something that, that will be pulled down in this evolution, I believe. But we, but but, th- but those are things that you, you will... It's not nice to do it but uh, because we want to be optimistic, but we will have to look at those things before we can look at alternatives so that we're making the right decisions, taking the right road. Well, yeah, and we are, we're creating an alternative. I mean, I think you know, most of the people who are heavily involved in the Global Summit are pretty aware of you know, the barriers um, that keep the really best technologies from getting out there. I mean, I've worked with you know, the AIDS medicine and 
and, you know, been in the um, environmental technology world, and I've seen things that could dramatically improve the state of the world with, you know, relation to AIDS, climate change. They're not getting out there because of the status quo and, you know, enough making people wrong, enough talking about giving power to those structures. Let's create something new. Let's do what needs to be done to get it out there that, you know, it's like, this parallel of the millions of ants, if they recognize how great they are through working together, they can actually overcome anything. And so that's basically, yeah, we get it, and we're, we're doing something about it now. <laughs> and for Barbara, uh, would you uh, think that it would be um, good to look at the, the elders, the older civilizations, to, to point us in the right direction in this evolution that we are facing now? You know, I, I feel the elders of the old civilizations are telling us what we now really know, which we're all connected, we're part of nature. The indigenous people knew this all along, and we are just finding it out. And in addition to the fact of having these enormous new capacities and a new stage of evolution. So I actually don't look to any ancient elders any more than I look to old people who like myself, I think it is a state of evolutionary consciousness that makes you aware of what's emergent. And being aware of what's emergent makes you sensitive to what you can do to participate, and you can be any age, any color, any religion. If you have the sensitivity to what's emergent, you're going to be part of the pioneering souls. If you don't have the sensitivity to what's emergent, I don't care what tribe you came from or what uh, penthouse you live in, <laughs> you won't do it. Melanie, as far as the Global Summit is concerned, how much are you going to devote to new technologies? I'm amazed uh, when I watched uh, Daniel Pinchbeck's film uh, with this chap in Los Angeles who is actually riding a scooter around on, uh, driven by water. Um, you know, and those are part of this, that, that's definitely part of this evolution. How much will you concentrate on, on those technologies? A huge amount. In fact, we're dedicating almost half of the Herbs Pavilion to the Sustainable Technology Expo, which um, will highlight eight categories of sustainable technologies with the theme Sustainable 21st Century Cities. It's bedded right in the center of the program. It's also ongoing concurrently throughout every day and throughout the evening concerts. Um, it's going to be open to the public in the evening for you know a very small fee so that we can expose people to what's working. And um, we've made booth you know rates of almost you know nothing, just nominal to really provide a platform for sustainable technologies in health, energy, uh, transportation. You see, Melanie is such a, an evolutionary woman bringing this together, and, and you just have to realize that she's an expression of nature itself evolving. You know, this is not just outside of nature. We are nature evolving. We are evolution evolving. There's, there's actually no choice here except to do your best, to give your best within the whole system that's evolving. There's no other choice. I mean, mm. and, and to do it where you're called to do it, like John Perkins is able to, because he was an economic hitman, he can, he can communicate to certain people in, let's say, corporate structure that I couldn't possibly do. And so you go where you're called and where you're most effective. In our last minute, um, I will sign off here with uh, our special guest, Barbara. 
What is it that you hope for will come from this wonderful global summit that you are attending? Oh, well, I just hope that the work that Melanie and all the people who are participating will be fully effective to realize their heart's desire. Because I trust their heart's desire. I trust Melanie's heart's desire. And that this global summit makes a genuine contribution to the shift towards a sustainable and co-evolving world. And that we put all our intention into that, and I know that it will be so. Melanie St. James, Barbara Marks Hubbard, it's been a pleasure having you on the program. Melanie, I know that uh, we'll be having another program uh, fourth in the series just before the summit. And Barbara, I'll be looking forward to joining you again in the very near future. Thank you very much, um, David, and thank you, Melanie. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Barbara. Thank you, David. Thank you, everyone. And to our listeners today, you can gain information on this and any other program in the series at davidgibbons.org. Meanwhile, wherever you are in this world, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. David Gibbons in discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors. In Discussion with David Gibbons is sponsored in part by Bowman Global Change. Specializing in helping companies reduce their carbon emissions, Bowman Global Change applies real science to real business practices to produce results. From designing green programs to one-on-one training to helping set up green action teams in your business, Bowman Global Change translates complex science in practical ways that everyone can understand and use. For more information or to discover how Bowman Global Change can help your organization, visit bowmanglobalchange.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.